This past week, as we were unpacking one of several boxes of books, I came across our well-worn set of the Chronicles of Narnia. So I took an extended break so that I could look at my favorite book and see if I could find that beloved passage. You know, that beloved passage that not only sticks with you, but sticks in your soul. It's toward the end of the book when our protagonist, a young boy named Shasta, wanders alone in a night so dim he can scarcely see his horse Bree walking beside him. And to no one in particular, he begins to chronicle aloud all the ways that he had been abandoned or forced to journey alone to the mythical land of Narnia, that wondrous world through the wardrobe. And then exhausted and empty by recounting his plight, Shasta begins to cry. But in the midst of his lonely tears on that cold night, separated from his friends and traveling companions, he senses a presence striding along beside him, a large, unnerving, beastly presence. Though he cannot know it in the darkness, it is the great lion named Aslan, the book series Allegory for Christ. Terrified of the large unknown presence, Shasta calls out in the dark, Oh, please, please go away. What harm have I ever done to you? I am the most unfortunate, unluckiest boy that ever lived. But then Shasta feels warm and reassuring breath against his cold hands and his tear-stained cheeks. And the lion in the darkness replies, Tell me your sorrows. And the boy does, his memories tumbling out of him like tears about being an orphan, being reared by a stern fisherman, about his escape and being chased by lions and the perilous night he spent among the terrifying tombs where the beasts howled at night all long, about the awful heat of the desert, about how a lion chased him at the very moment he was almost to his goal. Only after Shasta has told all of his sorrows and griefs does the lion tell the boy the truth of his own story, the truth he could not yet see, that every lion in Shasta's tale was he himself, Aslan, and that it was he who forced Shasta's escape so that the boy would be driven into the company of a friend, that it was he who howled at the night at the tombs to keep away the marauding animals, that it was he who scared the horses in the desert so that Shasta could reach his destination in time and safe. And that Aslan was even the one who pushed the boat with a near-death orphaned infant to the banks where a fisherman, sitting there at midnight, would find him. And in hearing his own story retold to him, Shasta was no longer afraid. As I reread this scene last week, I was struck by how much of it echoed our story from the gospel today. And echoed even perhaps 
the story we're all in the middle of today. Like Shasta, the two companions on the road to Emmaus are alone, separated from their larger community in Jerusalem. Like Shasta, they are profoundly sad and dejected. And they're having this conversation to no one else in particular about all the tragedy that had befallen them. And like Shasta, they unknowingly encounter Christ on their journey, and he walks with them. And like Aslan, before telling the despairing and lonely travelers the the good truth in their story, Jesus first listens and listens to all that saddens them. What are you discussing, he says. Tell me about these things. What has happened? Tell me your sorrows. And the grief tumbles out of them there on the road to Emmaus. And in the midst of it, a man named Cleopas says this phrase that catches you in the heart. He says, we had hoped. As he tells this story about how from his perspective... Great tragedy had befallen them in Jerusalem these past three days. I love this part of the story so much because I love that the resurrected Christ doesn't interrupt the lamenting of his friends, doesn't interrupt their rehashing of their dashed hopes and their broken dreams that they had for Jesus, that they had for their nation, that they had even for themselves. At any point in that story, the Lord could have revealed himself with a sort of grand tada, ended their sadness and grief, and shown them that their hope was standing in the flesh right before them. But instead, Jesus lets them ramble through all their sorrow and frustrated disappointment. And it's a curious thing if you think about it too long, because Christ not only listens to them, but he also accompanies them accompanies them as they literally journey together away from Jerusalem, away from the symbolic direction of their faith, away from the community that they belong to. In fact, we probably should think of this story not as the road to Emmaus, but as the road away from Jerusalem. But Jesus honors this direction he honors their loss and their lamentation and even their, their lack of faith. Almost as if it is an integral part of the journey they are on. And then he actually takes that journey with them. Pretending to be a fellow traveler who is m even more ignorant of the truth of things than they are. Jesus takes that journey with them. And with us, because he refuses to abandon anyone to hopelessness. And he refuses to deny our experience of it as well. I don't think Jesus is testing them or toying with them. I think this is Jesus at his most divine, still holding on to his humanity. To that part of him that wept in the garden of Gethsemane. That part of him that cried out in hopelessness on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus recognizes their despair on their faces and in their hearts. Because he'd been there too. 
just a few days earlier. And so he says, as perhaps he says to each of us this morning who are carrying grief or dashed hopes in our hearts, what happened to you? Tell me your sorrows. Because as with Shasta and Aslan, it's only after Cleopas' unravels the unraveling of his faith and hope that Jesus begins to offer him the truth of the story he was lamenting. Only after that does Jesus tell him the truth he could not yet see. Frankly, I'm not sure we're all at that part of the story yet in our own times and in our own moment. Perhaps today it is enough to find ourselves in Cleopas' lament and simply follow the advice of that old country gospel song we sang growing up to have a little talk with Jesus. Tell him all about our troubles because he'll hear our faintest cries and he'll answer by and by. What have you hoped for in the coming months? We had hoped that this virus wouldn't spiral out of control. We had hoped we would walk across the stage at graduation. We had hoped to go on a senior trip or that cruise or long planned vacation. We had hoped we could just go out to eat to celebrate a birthday or anniversary. We had hoped we could get a haircut. We had hoped we wouldn't run out of toilet paper. We had hoped we could hug each other. We had hoped we could visit those we loved, especially in their last days. We had hoped things would have been different. We had hoped. Whatever you had hoped, be assured that Jesus is right there with you, listening to your particular sorrow, big or small, with the companionable patience of love. Sometimes I think we underestimate the holiness of simply listening and listening to the very end before ever suggesting another way. In time, we will hear God retelling our story to us, and we will no longer be afraid. But when we're in the trough of the daunting swells of uncertainty, loss, and even grief that have come with this pandemic, there is comfort, deep comfort in knowing that the resurrected Christ walks with us all the way through to the end, through hardship and sorrow and even hopelessness because he himself has been there. And that Christ won't rush us when we're exhausted by this whole situation. That Christ won't interrupt us and demand that we see a silver lining even if there is one that Christ will walk this journey with us, even mourn with us, just as he did with Cleopas. Because there's really no way around it. So we walk through it, but we don't walk alone. That, I believe, can be a deeper, more honest expression of faith in a moment such as ours. More so than a rose-tinted assumption that everything will just be all right in the end. 
This is the kind of faith that meets us and others where we are. And I think as a result, it can actually birth true hope anew. The kind of hope that doesn't deny the reality of our existence, but still lightens our burdens and lights our way. And that eventually, in time, it will return us to the community where we belong, just as it did to the disciples in today's story. But until that day, it assures us that Christ is with us whatever road we find ourselves traveling. Amen.